Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it's Elijah, and others said, it's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet, out of regard for his oaths and for his guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Sure, I guess fear is a survival mechanism. But it seems like it's descended on us, like some toxic cloud that's sucking the life from us. I'm so weary of fear. My own, other people's. I've been astonished to learn what some of my neighbors fear. Cabals of liberal pedophiles, that vaccines are part of a government plot to insert microchips. Me. They fear me. Or any way that my progressive beliefs mean to harm them. On the other hand, I'm, I'm pretty sure my fears are mostly founded. I mean... There actually are cabals of violent right-wing extremists planning murder and mayhem, right? I'm sure fear can inspire us to do something about global warming or protect the coming generations, but it also seems to make us hate people and do stupid things. It turns into anger so easily because fear feels vulnerable and anger feels powerful. But... It's pretty clear, isn't it, that the world suffers from fear and the hate it generates. 
Fear's a big thing in Mark. This story starts out with people wondering who Jesus is. Some people think reasonably a prophet, Elijah, but Herod in almost horror story fashion thinks, oh no, it's John who I beheaded come back from the dead. Mark is often sparse. Things move fast. But here, he slows way down and tells this, this long, dramatic, detailed story. A story that seems to make people angry. Commentators I read use words like vile, vicious, wicked, disgusting to describe it. But I wonder if the story's really more sad than wicked. Maybe feeling sad isn't as energizing as feeling disgust. But if our survival isn't at stake, maybe the more vulnerable it's less destructive. For me, John getting his head cut off isn't the saddest part. He's, he seems sort of primed to be a martyr. It's the little girl, the dancing daughter that breaks my heart. She doesn't have a name in Mark, but Josephus, the historian, mentions in his writing that Herodias had a daughter named Salome, so she gets a name, Salome. But it's, it's not like her name goes down in history surrounded in sweet mercy. There's hardly any historical information about her. She does a dance that's not described at all, a dance that doesn't even take up a whole sentence. But she ends up getting so much attention from theologians and painters and playwrights and poets and movie producers, sculptors, novelists, musicians. So much male attention. Michelangelo, Picasso, Richard Strauss, Tom Robbins, Nick Cave, Al Pacino. It could take quite a while to list all the male artists who linger on her story. There's a couple church fathers that argue for her innocence. She's the apple of her father's eye used by her evil mother. But most of the men that interpret her don't go that direction. She's a lascivious temptress, the personification of the dangers of desire. One theologian says her dance is delirium inspiring and causes the unleashing of evil, a frenzy of brutal arousal. I mean, seriously? As if this little girl dancing could really be so scary? The word for dancing here is used early in, in Mark for playing. The word for girl is the same word used for girl in the raising of Jairus' daughter. Probably she's like 12. And the novelist describes her as the woman who by the lascivious contortions of her body breaks the will, masters the mind of a king by the spectacle of her quivering bosoms, the symbolic incarnation of world-old vice, the goddess of immortal hysteria, a monstrous beast of the apocalypse, indifferent, irresponsible, insensible poisoning. Sheesh. Yeah, and... Hillary Clinton is coming to suck your blood, too. Karl Barth said, What you find in the Bible depends on what you're looking for. The text's a mirror. It reflects the reader. Well, yikes. No wonder the world is mired in misogyny. In one retelling of her story, Salome gets what she has coming to her when she falls through ice crossing a river and in a frantic sort of dance to get free ends up beheading herself. 
I'm often pretty confident that what I fear is worthy of fear. But then something will happen like when I was visiting my parents in Indiana and the neighbor from across the street who had a Trump 2024 sign on her lawn came over to give my parents a piece of the cake she'd just made. Warm, delicious cake with pretty pink frosting. She was from Cambodia and her parents had been killed by the Khmer Rouge, she told me. So maybe socialism was a scary word to her. And it made me wonder who is behind the doors of all the houses flying the flags I hate. What are the stories of the people I fear? Work tells the sad story without using words like vile, vicious, or disgusting. You know, Mark often does this thing where he puts one story into the middle of another story to disrupt that narrative. And this story is the disruption. What it disrupts is the story of the sending out of the disciples on a mission. They go out and cast out demons and heal people, and they're having a, a pretty successful time. When Mark suddenly cuts to this story about the beheading, then goes back to the apostles who return from their mission and tell Jesus about their success. So it's kind of like there's a hopeful story about good news, success, with this dark story in the middle of it. This sad story about scared people. Sometimes Herod's called a king, but he's not really a king, he's a tetrarch, which means literally ruler of a quarter. In the midst of a giant Roman empire, he's not very important or admired. His father, Herod the Great, didn't want him to be a successor. Herod the Great preferred his other sons, but when his other sons try to poison him, he kills them, and then he ends up having to pass the title to this Herod, little Herod. So little Herod, he's not well-loved by his people or his family. In this story, though, he seems like a sympathetic character to me. Character to me. He's scared and vulnerable-seeming. He doesn't seem hard-hearted. He does put John in prison, but he likes John and has a reverent fear of him, the text says. He knew John was righteous and holy, so he kept him safe. When Herod heard him, he was perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. He liked listening to him. Something about that seems sort of beautiful and vulnerable to me. Why would a guy like Herod like listening to John, who was kind of harsh, rough, a, a hair shirt kind of a guy, not a nice, relaxed, charming person, probably. There's something unexpected and graceful in this to me. Unpopular Herod, pulling up a chair, listening patiently, happily to John talk. Seems like Herod must have been hearing something. I don't know, but Herod doesn't seem evil here to me. Lonely, maybe. But Herodias, Herod's wife, does not like John, wants to kill him. Surely we should condemn her. She's vile and vicious, as the Bible Gateway interpretation says. But really, what do we know about her? What do we know about her life? Not a lot, but... We know from historical sources that she lived through the trauma of having her grandmother, her father, 
her uncles, all murdered by her grandfather, Herod the Great, who married her off to her half-uncle, little Herod's brother. According to one source, while on a visit to Rome, Herod, that's little Herod, fell in love with her and proposed marriage, which she accepted. Yeah, she was already married to his brother, but maybe, finally, someone loved her? I mean, maybe not, but maybe she loved Herod. And John the Baptist, the sort of self-righteous, hair-shirt-wearing, possibly condemning sort of man who can't possibly know what it's like to be her, objects to her marriage, and she knows her husband likes him and listens to him, and, and so she wants to kill him. I mean, maybe she's pure evil, or maybe, maybe she's afraid of losing something she cares about. But so Herod has a birthday party, and he gives a banquet for the leading men of Galilee, probably mostly Jewish men, not, not necessarily lecherous old men. A lot of interpretations condemn the banquet in the story for its drunkenness and excess, but really? From all we know from the text, the girl might have been practicing a funny dance to make people laugh, playing like. Something she was eager to show to her dad's friends while they ate birthday cake and drank tea. Mark doesn't say there was wine and drunkenness at the party. Herodias' daughter daughter isn't sent for. The text says she delighted Herod and his guests, but the word for delighted doesn't have any erotic connotations. And Herod says to the little girl, either his daughter or stepdaughter, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will grant it. That's kind of a, a big promise, sure, but not unlike something an adoring father might say to a daughter. After Herod says he'll give her anything, she runs to her mother. What should I ask for? This seems sad to me. Like, she's not used to having a choice or a voice. She comes from a messed up family. She's not free. Maybe she, she wanted to blurt out, I want a pony and ice cream and a kitten. But something makes her go ask her mom. Maybe she loved her mom and knew her mom was afraid, or or maybe she's afraid, but... So she asks her mom, and her mom says, Ask for the head of John the Baptist. It's just... Chilling. I mean, it's terrible, really messed up, and it's so sad. What little girl wants the severed head of a prophet? The women in Mark are generally kind of amazing. They speak the truth. Their faith makes them well. They, they often end up looking better than the men in Mark, not to get all binary or anything, but it's kind of pointed in Mark. The women stay with Jesus at the cross when the male disciples flee. So maybe Mark had to throw in a story about a couple of bad women to even the score. Or is it just more complicated than that? Are some people evil and bad and to be feared and other people good and pure and harmless? Or, or are we all capable of similar things depending on our circumstances? The Bible says the girl danced and she becomes an object for male interpreters to project their fears and fantasies on for 2,000 years. That makes me sad. 
for Salome and girls everywhere and broken families and trapped people and anyone who has ever been objectified and people who are afraid. Fear may be a survival mechanism, but clearly it can do an enormous amount of damage. Salome says to Herod, I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Her request makes Herod exceedingly sorry, deeply grieved. He doesn't want to behead John the Baptist, but he feels caught and trapped in this promise he makes. Maybe these are evil people in the story, or, or maybe it's just tragedy. Shame and fear and distrust and hastily spoken words lead to something terrible. Maybe there's not one person to blame here. It's like this whole complicated web of pain and trauma and messed up families and broken people. I think part of the revelation of the good news is that there isn't some group of people to blame. There's just us. People who are stuck and trapped and hurt and full of shame sometimes and and usually not perfectly loved. Broken people. And no one's really good. And no one's only bad. No one is innocent. No one is pure evil. It's just sometimes tragic. Tragic stories of broken human beings who cling to broken systems, who act out of fear and hurt each other sometimes horrifically. In the middle of the story of Jesus' disciples going out on their mission and having some success, we get this sad and tragic story. That seems right to me, actually. Of course. What, what good is the, the mission, the, the gospel, the good news, it, if it doesn't have this story in it? What good is the grace of God if it doesn't include people who need it desperately? Jesus doesn't make a church out of righteous and brave men, sweet women, happy, shiny people. He makes the sin-sick whole. Maybe we don't need feel-good stories. I mean, maybe we do, but this isn't one. Fear is a big thing in Mark. The disciples abandon Jesus in the end because they are afraid. The book ends with the words, They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. But even if fear is the last word in the book, it isn't really the last word because eventually the disciples do say something. They keep telling the story. They keep going, probably not without fear, but but maybe as they tell the story over and over and over about the love of God for all people and the mercy of God for all people, more space opens up for trust. The way out of fear is trust. But trust isn't something you can exactly attain to or strive for. It's something that slips in beside you without your effort, when you are loved in a way that can be trusted. When you know the whole of humankind and creation is loved in a way that can be trusted. God loves in this way. I don't know how it can be true that nothing separates us, or anyone, or anything from the love of God. But I believe it, sometimes, with most of my heart, and then I am not so afraid. One more thing. In Europe in the Middle Ages, 
veneration of these devotional images of John's head on the platter became a thing. Like, the images were thought to have special healing powers. Herod's banquet foreshadowed the Last Supper. The image of John's head on the platter paralleled imagery of Christ as the source of holy food. Yeah, I mean, I know it sounds strange. The head on the platter is like the Last Supper. But I love this about it. It's Salome who presents the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So somehow in all the mixed-up craziness and tragedy, Salome ends up serving the church the food it needs. Jesus turns death and fear and murder and judgment, the destructive forces of the universe, into love. It seems difficult to believe. But these words do kind of ring out throughout the whole Bible. Fear not, for I'm always with you. Take heart, do not be afraid. God will never leave you. Do not fear, only believe. And if you, if you can't muster the belief in your head, let's do this. Let's take communion together. Take into your body what is given to you in love. Spirit of light who shone us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. You've been listening to the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check out www.houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. Hallelujah, the glory.